When I was 23 years old, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor that caused infertility and blurred vision. And then Jesus changed my diagnosis and he changed me. My, mom, my mother passed when I was 12 years old and, and that left me devastated, but Jesus brought, brought me new parents and that changed me. For the first 10 years of our marriage, um, they were pretty rough. Uh, we both contemplated divorce many times, um, but when we both surrendered to God, individually. Uh, God changed us and uh, restored our marriage. Jesus changed me. And Jesus changed me. For years I dealt with depression and loneliness, but when I met Jesus, He gave me purpose, He gave me destiny, and He changed me. My name is Samantha Knox and this is my story. I came from a single parent home. My dad left when I was two years old and I didn't grow up in church. We did not attend church, and I had never really heard about Jesus until probably about fourth grade. I started doing drugs when I was around 13, um, which eventually led to alcohol. And by the time I was 18, I was a, pretty much a full-blown alcoholic. My life just continued to completely spiral out of control. My only purpose was really to find the next party. I was extremely promiscuous, um, just didn't love myself had self-loathing a lot and I just didn't really have any purpose for living except to get drunk and get high. I decided to pack up and move um, to Texas. I'm from Southern California and God moved me to a place I believe that was uncomfortable and familiar to get away from the things that I was involved in and to put me in a place where I could change and get better. And someone invited me to church and I came to church and I learned about the love of Christ for the very first time. I had never been taught about grace and mercy and forgiveness. And I began to truly understand not only what Jesus did for me on the cross, but why. And that His love and His grace and His mercy is what made Him go to the cross for me for my sins. And as bad as I was, I was the worst of the worst and I had so much shame for the things that I had done and the things that I was involved in and I had wrapped myself in so much bondage. And when I truly understood the love of Christ, that love is what changed me. It gave me a whole new purpose. It gave me the the willpower to to ask for forgiveness and to uh, repent of those sins that I had I had done and um, but then it gave me a purpose to share that love and, and to share that grace with others and Jesus Christ and his love um, for me is what changed my life. And changed me. Jesus changed me. Jesus changed me. How about that? Well everybody's changing all the time. You change the motorcycle you drive, you change the truck you drive, you change the color of your hair, you change your degree program, you change the house you live in, and hopefully you don't, but you may change your spouse. We're told today we can change our gender at will, but the one thing in common with all these changing is we're, is we're looking for happiness. We're looking for a sense of purpose. And what we've talked about today in this testimony tape that you've heard about people changing the whole orientation of their life. They're talking about a life that perhaps acknowledged God but didn't walk with God. 
didn't seek to please the Lord, but found something in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, where religion came not just something they had to do, but serving the Lord became something they wanted to do. Uh, I experienced that same change in my life. Uh, when I was 19 years of old, I, I had about three years of sowing my oats, going, just doing what all my friends were doing. But how many know you can't find happiness in the bottom of a bottle? I was on an athletic scholarship. That didn't do it. Dating the head majorette and the cheerleader, and that almost did it, but it didn't do it. I was a normal 19-year-old guy. I was just like all the rest of my friends, but something was missing in my life. And what was missing in my life was a real relationship with God. And I remember the day that Jesus changed me. It was August 15th, 1976, long time ago. You say, how do you know that? I was there. <laughs> and I prayed a very simple prayer. I said, Jesus, I want to give you my life today, and uh, I want to walk with you and follow you as my Savior. And can I tell you, it was the best decision I've ever made. Amen. Well, listen, we're going to talk about change today. We're going to look at the resurrection from a different point of view. The resurrection is certainly a historical event, but we're going to look at its power to change our everyday life in the nasty now and now. And I'm going to talk about a man named Paul. Paul was originally called Saul. He lived in a place called Tarsus, so he was Saul of Tarsus in his day. But I'm going to look in Acts chapter 25, if you happen to have your Bible, whether it's by the page or an electronic Bible. But we're going to walk through this chapter, and I want, to hear, I want you to hear his story about the power of God to change a life. Let's kind of set some context. Acts 25, verse 13. We see... Uh, a king. His name is Agrippa, his sister Bernice, and they come to Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Well, here's kind of the deal. Festus is the governor of the local region there in Palestine or Jerusalem. King Herod, he's a Jewish man. He, uh, he knows the Jewish history. Uh, he is very well collect, uh, connected politically in Rome, and he's the somewhat like the, the king or the governor over the entire region. And what they're doing is they're talking about a court case. Remember our friend Saul of Tarsus, one day he had a dramatic conversion and he becomes a Christian. Now, I didn't know this as a child, but you're not born a Christian. You're born again as a Christian. You may be born as a Christian home. You may be born in a Christian culture, but you're not born a Christian. It's a step we take towards Christ when he changes us. Well, Paul had this dramatic encounter. Paul was raised a Jew. He was a religious leader. But when he began to follow Jesus, the Jews turned on him and they hated him and wanted to kill him. They had him thrown in jail. He was arrested and he came before Festus at first, the governor Festus. Uh, he, was, he, was more, he was not Jewish. He was more influenced by the Greek philosophy of life, the pagan gods they served and the Pantheon. Uh, he didn't know much about Christianity, so he's basically saying, look, Herod, can you help me out here, King Agrippa? I don't know, I don't know what to do in this case. So let's pick it up now, verse 14. Festus discussed Paul's case with the king, and he said, the Jewish chief priests brought charges against Paul and asked that he be condemned. Now that's pretty serious. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to crucify Paul or somehow take his life. Verse 18, when his accusers got up to speak, he didn't, they didn't charge him with any of the crimes I expected. But instead, they made some points of dispute with him about their own religion, Judaism, and a dead man, say this with me, named Jesus, who Paul claimed was alive. Now, we've said that 50 times this morning. 
But I wish there was some way I could let the impact of that seek into our life. I have had the somewhat sad opportunity for many. I've been pastoring here for almost 30 years. I've done many funerals. I look across the congregation and I see young and old who have buried their children, their mothers, their fathers. And we went to that cemetery and there was one person that was featured there. It was the person in the coffin and they never left that cemetery. I wish I could tell you today in a way that could grip your heart what it means that Jesus is alive. The death and resurrection of Jesus is the most significant event in world history. And I don't say that lightly, but I say it very deliberately because it is the fulcrum, it is the turning point upon which all human history revolves. The creation and God placed man in the Garden of Eden in a perfect place void of all the trouble you and I experience and void of all the trouble that we can't explain. They're in a real place called Eden, yet they sinned against God. They went against his commandments and everything got turned upside down. Everything got mixed up. And what the resurrection of Christ did is it flipped it right side up and made the opportunity to restore relationship between a God that we cannot see, yet know in the depth of our soul that he is real. Many people have died and in today's world been resuscitated, come back to life, but they die again. Jesus, friends, died one time, came back to life three days later, and he's alive today. Now, that, that is worth an attention getter. Uh, many have set out to disprove his resurrection. Many intelligent people, but when they sought the facts that surround it, you see, you and I are raised in a culture today where people belittle the Christian claims. They belittle the Bible. Uh, they belittle faith, but yet all of us have faith. Uh, there, was, there was a man that made this ex, uh, exploration and it changed his life. His name was Lee Strobel. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he wrote a book and his name is going to be on the screen. If you're a skeptic, I would, I would get this book or he, he, they even produced a movie. Now, Lee has a law degree from Yale University. He's an educated man. He became an investigative supporter for the Chicago Tribune Legal Affairs Department. So this is a highly skilled legal man. He's dealing in the world of facts. He's dealing in the world of precipitating causes. He's looking for solutions and answers. And he begins to explore the claims of Christianity when his wife becomes a Christian. And his intent was, was to disprove it was to show her how Christianity is erroneous and only simple, foolish-minded people believe it. What happened, though, his life changed when he went to a debate between a Christian that was a, a, an expert in the resurrection and an educated atheist. After this experience, he began to ask questions. And what he did is he traveled around the world looking for experts to talk to him about things, to educate him on the facts uh, questions like this. Who were the witnesses to Jesus' resurrection? Could they have all experienced some kind of mass psychosis? Are the ancient manuscripts that documented his resurrection reliable? In other words, can we trust the biblical accounts? Did Jesus really die? Or maybe he was just unconscious. So he would talk to uh, a, a, a doctor. He would talk to someone that specialized this and, 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 and get opinions. Why would they want Jesus? To, why would Jesus want to die for anyone anyway? And this man made this journey that many have walked on, and it led him to faith in Christ. Just as Jesus changed Paul, just as Jesus changed me, Jesus changed Lee.
and he wants to change all of us. Now let's look at verse 22. Let's go deeper in the story. Agrippa the king said to Festus the governor, I want to hear this man because Agrippa had heard about Jesus. He was there in the region. Uh, what Jesus, well, even John the Baptist, Jesus' forerunner, scholars believe John baptized hundreds of thousands of people in the Jordan River. This shook the Jewish, uh, the Jewish empire. Uh, Agrippa said to Festus, I want to hear him. So Paul began his defense. Verse 4, the Jewish people know the way I've lived since I was a child. They've known me a long time, listen, that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion as Jews living as a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the group, if you know anything about the Bible, the book of Malachi ends the Old Testament, Matthew begins the New, there's 400 years of silence, there's no prophetic writing, there's no religious impetus, but yet the Pharisees kept the Jewish religion alive, they kept the temple practices alive. These, these, these men uh, were a dedicated group, uh, but here is what characterized them. They believed if you did everything the Bible taught, strict observance of all the rites and ceremonies of the Old Testament, you could be righteous. In other words, you could have right standing with God if you just do the right things if you're good enough. Anybody ever read the book of Leviticus? That's pretty hard to just read through. I get bored on it sometimes. Well, he didn't just read it. He lived it. If you think in your life right now, everybody knows somebody that's kind of real religious I mean, somebody that's always doing church things and always doing Bible things and talking about it. This guy exceeded them to the 10th degree. I mean, Paul had it all. But here's something that I want to tell you from his life. Practicing religious tradition and good works are not enough to get us to heaven. You and I cannot do enough good things. I talk to people on a personal level quite often. And when I ask them why, they're gonna, why they think they'll go to heaven... If they died and stood before God today and God were to ask them, why should I let you into heaven? The majority of people say this, I've been a good person. I've lived a good life. But can I tell you, friend, though it's admirable to live good, listen to what Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians. God saved you by his grace when you believed. To be saved means to be freed from the power of sin. It means to be forgiven. It means that God one day will allow you to go to heaven and the word grace is God's kindness, and the door into what unlocks salvation is belief or faith in Christ. And what God is saying, well, the next verse, it says you can't take credit for this. You can't take credit for your salvation. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. None of us can boast about it. That's why it's called grace. Verse 6 says this, it's because of my hope. This is what Paul's speaking. In what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. King Agrippa, why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Now I want you to think with me for just a moment about this idea of God raising the dead. But I also want you to think about hope. If you have your health and you have your money, you can live as if you don't need God. But you, friends, sooner or later in life will face a barrier that you can't get through or around. You will face something perhaps in your marriage, something in your economic life, something in your physical health, or one day death itself. And everything within you will want to get around it, under it, over it, will somehow want to get through this barrier. And if you can imagine if that barrier surrounded you and created darkness in your life, if there was a little hole in it and light came beaming through 
It's like if you were trapped in a cave buried underground and rescuers were coming and all of a sudden they dug away a rock and light flooded into, into the cave. You would have hope that you can escape. Well, our hope for life after death comes because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus himself said in John 5. Don't be surprised. The time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of the Son of God. Everyone in a little, I, I love to hunt, and I'm off by myself often. And oftentimes in country places, you'll come up on a family cemetery. Uh, it's not groomed. It's not manicured or cared for. Some of the headstones are broken. And you look back and see that someone lived there in the 1800s. Someone lived a long time ago. But the Bible teaches us that that little grave, the person that lived a life, is known by God. That what they did their, with their life was recorded in books in heaven. And one day, graves will open up all over the world. Listen to what Jesus said. Grave, uh, the time, the, all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. Good is not just good works, but good is in following Christ and doing good works. But yet those who have continued in evil will experience judgment. Friends, I've done a lot of funerals in the last 40 years I've been a Christian minister. The saddest one I, I went to was devoid of hope. There was a, a man that had lived in our city. I didn't know him, but his kids, I guess, got us out of the phone book at that time before Google popped up. And they asked if I'd do Dad's funeral. He died here, and I get there. It's out in Wake Village. And it was the saddest thing I ever seen. It was three siblings, two siblings and a wife. And they were sitting there, and they... Back in the days of cassettes, you hit a button, and this country western song played this. When I die, dig a hole for me, six foot deep on the lone prairie. And it played over and over again, and I was just getting more depressed sitting there because they faced death, and to them, death was a stopping point. There's nothing on the other side. When I do Christian funerals, I always read this verse. 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the trumpet call of God and those who have died believing in Christ will rise from the dead. And Christians with tears streaming down their face because they love their mom, their dad, their child, their, their spouse, they had a smile on their face. They weren't happy because they died, but they were happy because of the hope of the resurrection. And I want to tell you this, friend, it is irreplaceable when you stare death in the face. Let's keep reading. Verse 12, uh, Paul now would go, I mean, he would persecute Christians. He would see them stoned to death. He would take kids out of homes. He would demand they renounce Christ. Well, verse 12, on one of these journeys, now listen, Paul's going to describe the spiritual experience that changed his life. And it is dramatic. I've, I don't think it's ever been repeated, but listen to what happened to him. He says, on one of the journeys to persecute Christians, it was about noontime, King Agrippa, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun. Blazing around me and my companions, we fell to the ground and I heard a voice. And the voice said, Saul, why are you per persecuting me? And I asked, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. The same God that created the world from nothing in Genesis 1-1 one, one, 
was the same God that has the ability today to cause the natural laws of physics and cosmology to be laid aside, and he entered the world. And this man had, had a vision, as it were, of Christ, and he had a dramatic conversion. Now, don't think, to, don't dwell on the, how dramatic it was, but understand that he was converted to Christ. He was walking away from the Lord Jesus Christ, and he turned his life around and began to follow him. Uh, Jesus called this a spiritual rebirth. Listen to what Jesus said in John 3, 3 from the Amplified Translation. Jesus said, unless a person is born again or born from above. I know a little bit about birth. My, my uh, uh, second grandchild is on the way. And uh, they announced it yesterday and they had the reveal thing and all that. Uh, but I, I remember when our first grandchild was born. And uh, it was a hospital in Rogers, and at about the time, one of the, you know, one of the nurses or someone came out and told us, the baby's almost here. So my, myself and my, my two daughters, we, we went to the door, and we were listening for that first baby's shout, and I've got it, I, I recorded it. But I know a little bit of what the birth of a child is like, and all the ladies said, you don't know very much there, sir. <laughs> but I know what birth brings. And what Jesus is saying, you can have a second birth, a spiritual birth where you're changed on the inside. That's this word change we're using today. Uh, I did read another account that, that gripped me this week. I want to read it with you. It's uh, well-researched. It's from Open Doors. It's from a Christian ministry that teaches us about the persecuted church in the world today. And if you didn't know this, there are 250 million Christians in 50 countries around the world that live under persecution and adversity every day of their life. They estimate that 9,000 Christians a year are martyred. That's 900,000 in the last decade simply because they love Jesus. And the change in their life, and they could easily live if they just said, I'm not going to bow to your Muslim God. Most of it's Muslim persecution. I'm not going to bow to Muhammad. I'm not going to change their life. But they would rather die in this life than deny Christ because they were so impacted by what Jesus did. Listen to, uh, this is a story of a Muslim. Um, they, they have given him the name Tofik, but true story, and, and this is all online on our website. You can, you can uh, research this if you're interested. But Tofik trained to become a Muslim imam. That's like a pastor or a spiritual leader. 24 years as in an, at an Islamic school. He said parts of our teaching were about destroying Christianity. So we did what we learned. We attacked Christians. We beat them. We attacked the church. We burned their Bibles. Now, 2002, he's the village Iman. He said, I had a vision from the Lord at 3 in the morning. He said, in the vision, I saw Jesus very clearly telling me to follow him. He awoke. He told his wife she was afraid because of what would happen to them. He finally goes back to sleep. He says, immediately, I had another vision of Jesus. Jesus appeared to me saying, it's me, follow me. And when you follow me, you'll pay a price. There'll be persecution in your life. But in the end, you will be victorious because I am with you. And he got up that day and he committed his life to Jesus Christ. And he is a Christian pastor today. It is dramatic. If you research this, you could even Google this. And you will find that there are scores of Muslim people that God is bringing through supernatural ways to Christ. But let me tell you this, most people don't come to Christ like this. 
Most people don't come to Christ like this man or like Paul. Most people come to Christ like I did. In 1976 in the Navy barracks, I was all by myself and I simply prayed, Lord Jesus, I want to ask you to forgive me for my sins and come in my life and give me the life you intended me to live. Something happened on that day. I was changed on the inside. It was the beginning of a change. I didn't see lightning. I didn't see an angel. The barrack CO didn't come by and clap his hands. But Jesus changed my life. Look at verse 16. This is what Paul continues in his testimony. Jesus said to him, get up on your feet. I'm sending you to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Now I want you to listen to this. This is the more theological part of the message. And Paul will use three terms to describe this new birth, this spiritual transformation, this change that Christ will bring. In his first term, he said to open their eyes. I've never been blind. Today, thanks to modern medical technology, some people that were born blind can see. I walk around my yard, and I, I live in Redwater. I live in the country. I love to garden. There's flowers blooming everywhere. I got up this morning, and I looked at the glory of the blue sky. And it just, the glory of God was all around, but I was able to see it. Can you imagine if you had lived all your life in my home, if you were blind, if you were one of my children and blind, and I took you over and we, we smell the, the little uh, narcissus flowers that were blooming in their fragrance. We went over and we, we, we touched the iris in her majestic blooms. And we went to the azalea bush and he rubbed his hand across it and he could feel the blooms distinct from the leaves, but he never could see it. But yet after a surgery, he could see and the glory would... Well, this is what he's saying. God can open our eyes spiritually. That's why the same things that when I was in the world that used to draw and attract me, they don't draw me anymore because I see. To turn you from darkness to light. I didn't know my world was dark when I was 18 and 19. I just thought we were having fun, getting drunk, getting high, and having a headache and a hangover and doing it again the next day. I didn't know I was in darkness. But when light came in my world, come on now, I, 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 you're looking a little too holy out there. I didn't realize darkness until light had come, the power of Satan to God, that the evil one that deceived Adam and Eve blinds the minds of people today. Now listen to this next point. This, this salvation experience is so we can receive forgiveness of sins. You say, what's the big deal? First of all, many in the world today don't believe there is such a thing as sin. But there is a thing when we sin against a holy God. When we do wrong and violate God's commandments, the Bible says all of us have sinned, but the wages of sin is death. It's why people die, but it's a spiritual death that separates us from God. Forgiveness wipes away the sin. If you can imagine if the cross represents God, and here I am, and, and there's a chalkboard with all the sins of my life. I've done things, as probably you have, that I'm ashamed of. I've never bragged about as a Christian. There's something, and none of your business what it is. But for 20 years as a Christian, I wouldn't tell anybody because I thought my sin was too great for God to forgive. I live with a little shame and condemnation. But the true forgiveness of God is when God, an old blackboard now, wipes away and erases it and takes away the sin and the condemnation and judgment. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand for that today. Well, here's how forgiveness comes. For those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus, 
Paul, he said, I preach that they should repent and turn to God. What is faith? Faith is simply believing that Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross for my sins, rose from the dead. But listen to this. It also is coupled with following Christ. Most of us lived our life, that's the cross and that's the Lord. I live this way. I would do whatever I wanted to do. And every once in a while, I'd say, need a little help here. Good Methodist boy. Remember, I took communion last week. Help me out, please. Invariably, he'd help me. And then I'd say, thanks. You can, you can remain on the shelf until I need you again. But repentance is, I do need a Savior. I have sinned, and I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to come in my life and be my Lord and Savior. And now forgiveness follows. Every once in a while it looks back and it's tempted, and you may even do that, but you face the choice and you choose to continue following. That's what being a Christian is about. Look at verse 22. Paul said, I testify to small and great alike. In other words, I'm talking to the king and the pauper. I say nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. Now, if you're a skeptic, I want you to listen to this part in particular. I think the predictions of Christ, his birth, his death, his life, hundreds and even a thousand years before is one of the greatest factual reasons why it makes sense to become a Christian. Paul said, uh, uh, and, and these prophets prophesied that the Messiah, Jesus, they, they, uh, it was predicted by Micah the prophet, the town he would be born in, Bethlehem. Much was predicted about his life. Dozens of prophecies uh, that he would suffer, rise from the dead, bring the message of light to his own people, the Gentiles. And then the governor Festus <laughs> interrupted Paul's defense. He said, you're out of your mind, Paul. You're learning. Paul was an intelligent man. Your great learning is driving you insane. And Paul, caring more about him than he did himself, he said, I'm not insane, Festus. He said, what I'm saying is true and reasonable. You and I, unbeknowingly, are, parts, are, are a part of the enlightenment that Greek culture gave us from America's founding. Everything must be proved. Science somehow has taken the place of revelation. Revelation, God, are out the window, and science reigns supreme. But I want to tell you, friends, factually, reasonableness suggests even to those that will pause to listen to the circumstances that there is a God in heaven. And I suggest to you that one of the greatest proofs are fulfilled prophecy. Uh, one quote just to, I read a couple days ago, John 19, uh, the Luke, the author, says, These things took place so the scripture might be fulfilled. He's talking about Jesus. And one prediction, not one of his bones would be broken. Now, in, first of all, in the book of Psalms, crucifixion is depicted, and crucifixion was not even practiced by the Romans until several hundred years later. But now, in crucifixion, when you were on the cross, they wanted to get you down before the sun went down in the Jewish religion, so they would break your legs below the knees so that your body would collapse. You would have to push yourself up to breathe on that cross. They'd break your knees, and you would collapse. You couldn't breathe. When it came time to look at Jesus, they broke the two other people that were crucified, broke their legs, but not Jesus because he was dead already. This was predicted. The book of Zechariah, hundreds of years before. It makes sense to be a Christian. Intelligent and reasonable people accept the Christian message. Believers in Christ are depicted as stupid people who believe in mythology and feel good information. I, I read about a guy this week that inspired me. 
uh, a very intelligent man. His name is Richard Lumsden. I think his name's on the screen, but he's a professor. He was a professor of parasitology, which basically is the study of parasites in the human body. He was a professor of cell biology and the dean of the graduate school at Tulane University. He converted from a Darwinian atheist to a Bible-believing Christian when challenged by one of his students. And the student didn't go in and say, hey, doc, you better believe in Jesus. The student said, can you explain some things to me, doc? And she said things like, can you explain to me why there's no fossil evidence from species, one species to the next? Why the missing links are so pronounced? How, how nothing created everything? Doc, can you explain to me how there can be a design without a designer? And it was at that moment God began to speak to him. And the wonderful thing is, we, don't just, we aren't just rationally talked into Christ. We hear the good, simple message that Christ loves us. He rose from the dead, and something happens to our heart. God begins to pull our heart. And as he pull our, pulls our heart, he wants us to follow. Maybe that's happening to you today. It happened to me on August 15, 1976, when I began my search for Christ. Verse 27, and this will be my last verse. Paul then says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I'll ask you that same question today. Do you believe? Do you believe what Jesus was, was, was predicted about Jesus in the Old Testament? Do you believe in Christ as your Savior? Well, Paul said to Agrippa, I know you do, and stay with me now. Don't, 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 don't get distracted. Agrippa said to Paul, now listen to this. Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Well, Paul said, I pray to God that not only you, but everybody who's listening to me today may become what I am, a believer in Jesus Christ, except for the chains that I'm wearing. Now, I want to bring two thoughts to your awareness, and then we're going we're to close in prayer. Agrippa was a religious man. He was the Jew. But religion is not enough to save us. King Agrippa needed a Savior, and so do we. The second thing I want to tell you, I want you to ponder. Paul was on trial before powerful men. Politicians that had the power to keep him in jail the rest of his life or to kill him. But he's not that concerned about himself. He seems more concerned about King Agrippa and the governor Festus and everybody else than he is himself. Why did Paul do this? I'll tell you, Jesus changed his life. I understand that. That's why I'm here today. This is not a job for me as I do this today. I have the privilege to tell you that are spiritually hungry where to get fresh bread. I have the privilege today to tell you that are spiritually thirsty where to get a drink of living water. Jesus, listen, you've heard about change today. The resurrection, as we've talked about today, gives us two big things. It gives us hope for eternal life after we die, but it gives us hope that Jesus can help us in the nasty now and now. If we will believe and follow him, his promise is that he'd change us. And I'd like to give you the opportunity to take that step right now. Would you bow your head with me just a moment? In a very private moment, I'm going to offer a prayer for you in just a minute. I promise you it won't embarrass you. Promise you it would be a grave injustice if I did not give you a chance to respond to what you've heard today. 
I want you to bow your head and kind of shut everybody else out just a second so you have a private moment with God. But I, I, I'd like for you to let me in on that if I can. Maybe you're here today and the first group of people I'll offer prayer for today is this. You're not a follower of Jesus. If you died today, you don't, well, maybe you do know that you might not go to heaven or certainly you're not sure, but you want to be. You're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the son of God. I believe he died for my sins. And Pastor, I want to receive him as my savior and I want to follow him. If that's you today and you want me to pray for you, would you just lift your hand real high? Just do it quickly, just all over the audience. God bless you, dear. Others, just say, pray for me. God bless you too. God bless you too. I see your hand. Come on, God bless you. All the way in the back, I see your hand. Others say, Pastor, I want to commit my life to follow Jesus. I see your hand, dear. And not only do I see it, the Lord Jesus is watching today. Others, just lift your hand. Wave it at me. Say, Pastor, I want to commit my, I, I want to commit my life to Christ. I want to become a follower. I see your hand, dear. I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. I see your hand, ma'am. I want to put my trust in Christ. I see your hand, sir. I see your hand. Others today, I see your hand, sir. Others say, pray for me. I, 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 see, I see your hand, ma'am. I want to get right with God. I, I, God bless you. I see your hand. Others that are lifting your hand. You're making steps to Christ. Now listen, nobody looking around. I'll ask another group of people a question. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're very familiar with the Christian message. M maybe you committed your life to Christ at some point and you lived the Christian life. But for whatever reason, you've gotten away. For whatever reason, you're not following the Lord. For whatever reason, Jesus is not number one. He didn't mean to do it. Life gets complicated, life gets busy. We get disappointed over something. Or maybe the world pulls us back in its snare. But today, what really touched your heart was when I talked about following Christ. And you're honest enough to say that I really hadn't been but I want to make a change today. And I'm willing to turn my heart to Jesus. And I want a brand new start today. I want God to take my life afresh and I want to live the rest of my life for Jesus Christ. If that's you, I want you to just lift your hand right now all over the building. God bless you, ma'am, and God bless you, and God bless you, and others, lift your hand. God bless you, dear, and you, sir, I see your hand. God bless you. Others, lift your hand. Say, Pastor, I want to get my life right with God. I see your hand, ma'am. Others that are here today, God bless you, too. I'm at a pivotal, I see your hand, sir. I'm at a pivotal time in my life today, and I'm choosing today to get my life right with God. I don't want to leave this place. I see your hand all the way in the back there. All right, let's do this. Let's stand to our feet right now. And, and, and I want us just to give a big hand to all the people that just raised their hand to say, I want to make a step to Jesus Christ. I want to make a step. You're among friends tonight, this morning. You're among friends today. Listen, I want to ask you that lifted your hand to make to, the want prayer for committing your life to Jesus. Slip out of your chair and come let me pray for you right now. Come just let me pray for you right now. Come on, give them another big hand as they're coming. All over the congregation, you come today. Come on, just slip out of your chair. Let me pray for you today. God bless you, dear. God bless you, young people that are coming. God bless you and God bless you. Come on, just come let us pray for you right now. Whether you lifted your hand or not, say, I'm committing my life to Christ. Come make your way down to the front. You say, Pastor, why are you doing this right now? Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. But if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. Listen, if you can't make steps to Christ in a church where people clap their hands, how in the world will we do it when we get in the pressures of the world? God bless you too, dear. Others, you come. Let us pray for you right now. You need to be up here. Come, let us pray for you. It's a sign of walking away from your past. 
you come, dear. It's a sign of walking away from the past. God bless you too, dear. It's a sign that I need God's forgiveness. I want God's assurance of eternal life. Here's the way we're going to close. I'm going to talk to these people that are here, and I want you all to get a little closer where I can talk to you. I want you to do this all over the congregation. I want you to ask the person on your left and right, would you like for me to go down with you so we can pray together? It's hard to do this. Ask the people around you, can I walk down with you? Now, let me say this. Y'all come on a little closer here. I want to tell you this. The Bible says that angels in heaven are rejoicing right now. I've never met you before to my knowledge, and I don't know anything about you, but the one who created you, the Savior of your life, knows everything about you. He knows every wrong thing that you've done. He knows the things. God bless you as you come. Others, come on down. Let us pray for you. Others that are coming today, come on, let us pray for you. We'll make room for you here. God bless you as you come. God bless you as you come. I'm telling you, there's something powerful about walking away. I remember when I gave my life to Christ, I was in the Navy. Now, I used to, I had the big hair was in back then, and I had a big afro. It was big. And I was Mr. Cool. But when I, when I came back on the, from the Navy, they gave us a few weeks off, I went to a party where my friends were. And I'll tell you what, they're all still drinking, doing the exact same thing. But I just said, you know what? I'm walking a different walk right now. And it's something about stepping away from what ensnared you to walk with Jesus. And can I tell you, the Lord has a better way. He has a better way than you could ever find on your own. Because the one created you, God didn't make a mistake when he created you. God was involved in our creation. The scripture talks about God knitting us together in our mother's womb. And I want to tell you, God loves you. And you had courage today to make a step in front of a lot of people that you don't even know. And let me say this, I don't want anything from you. We want to help you today. I'm going to pray for you, and then we want to give you some materials, a book that will help you understand how to live the Christian life. Uh, because it's God's part where he reaches down and touches us, and it's our part of daily following him. But I want to tell you this, friend, no matter what you've done in your life, Jesus can forgive you. I don't care what shame you've carried. It's like an old eraser. I mean, no, when you erase it, you can never see it again. And the Bible calls us his daughter and his son. Now, I want everyone to say this prayer with me. Let's all bow our heads. And this is simply a prayer of invitation, asking Jesus to come and change our life. Let's say this first. Jesus, thank you for loving me. I don't understand the love of God, but I'm grateful for it. Thank you for touching my heart today. Thank you for giving me courage to walk away from my old life and walk towards you. Jesus, today I say I believe that you are the Son of God. You died for my sins and then you rose from the grave and you're coming back again. I say out loud that I have sinned and I ask you to forgive me. Wash my sins away and give me a changed life. Give me strength to live for you each day of my life. Help me desire to pray. Help me desire to read the Bible. Help me do my part 
and I know you'll do yours. Today, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, give them another big hand today. God bless. God bless each and every one of you today. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We want to give you those materials. Take just a second. Pastor Mike, one of our, our pastors here, just turn and just follow him just a minute, and he'll give you that. Give him one more big hand. Just come on. Just, just, just follow him. He's right down that aisle right there. Right down that aisle right there. Listen, let me say to you today, we're going to close with one last song and then dismiss. Uh, we've got, if you'd like to take a little special Easter picture by the azaleas out there, we've got something set up. You can do that. There's a little guest information out there if you want some more information. But next week, I'm going to start a series, Lord willing, called Supernatural, Experiencing God's Power and Presence in Everyday Life. Not weird or spooky, but the reality that God is near me and God wants to move through my life every day. We'll have some people, some of our prayer team up front here. If you just want somebody to pray with you or talk with you, maybe it was a little bit of a struggle to come down with the group. That's totally okay. But there'll be men and women standing up here that would be delighted to talk with you about your spiritual life or pray with you about anything. So prayer team, come on down and uh, sing this last song. I love you and thank you for coming. He'll dismiss you after the song. <laughs>